When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, an Israeli archaeologist describes the discovery of one of the most important artifacts mentioned in the Old Testament, Joshua's altar. It's sort of a piece of every Jew who reads the Bible and Christian. Once they get to this part in Deuteronomy, they read about the commandment by God to build this altar as the Israelites cross into Israel. It really hits you that this is something real. For me, it's very special. The whole idea of doing an offering to God, connecting with God. This is a spot where the Israelites really connected. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet there are several tiers to choose from pick which one is right for you but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated as a sign of my appreciation you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show or you could have your name included in a crawl on my youtube channel live stream you could also receive episodes of my old podcast the rock and roll twilight zone this critically acclaimed podcast produced in partnership with chris jericho is not currently available anywhere else If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Harry Moskoff is here joining me from Israel. Joshua chapter 8 verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar in Mount Eval to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of unhewn stones, upon which no man has lifted an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Unlike the western wall or the tomb of the patriarchs, the exact location of the altar of Joshua was unknown until it was unearthed by University of Haifa archaeologist Adam Zertel in 1980. Zertel's claim that this was Joshua's altar was never universally accepted. Moreover, its location in Samaria placed it in the heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and kept the site from development as an archaeological park. Earlier this month, however, a municipal Palestinian work crew hauled rocks from an exterior biblical-era wall surrounding the altar for use in paving a road. The outcry over the harm caused to the site refocused attention on the altar from the Iron Age and re-sparked calls by the Israeli right to transform it into an archaeological park. 
Archaeologist Harry Moskov, author of The Ark Report, is involved in the restoration of the altar, and he joins me now. Hey, Harry, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. It's been a while. How are you? Good, thanks. Great to hear hear your voice again, Richard. So, mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy and also the book of Joshua is the altar of Joshua. What does Deuteronomy and the book of Joshua say about this archaeological site, the altar of Joshua? Right. Uh, It's it's really a very, very special area, to be honest, Uh, here in Israel, uh, in northern Israel, Samaria, uh, you know, Mount Ebal, Ebal in Hebrew, and uh, it's it's uh, very special for a number of reasons. There are a bunch of biblical events, very uh, important biblical events that happened there uh, between Mount Grizim and Mount Ebal, where the Ark of the Covenant, so of course, uh, you're familiar with my own work, uh, to my book, The Ark Report, but it has over there, the Ark of the Covenant was there, and there was blessing and curses in that area, but uh, God has a, a specific commandment to build the altar, uh, and it says uh, basically a couple of years. Well, right after the it was right after the Israelites passed over the Jordan River and conquered Jericho, uh, God commands them to build an altar to Him out of stones, whole stones, natural uncut stones, and to rejoice there. Uh, that's like you said, in Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's 27, uh, chapter 27, uh, verses 5 to 8, if I remember correctly. Anyway, it's right there. I've been there twice, actually. It's an amazing place. And uh, it says in the Torah, in the Bible, that uh, to actually build it, uh, this was exactly 3,333 years ago. I figured that out. It was uh, very interesting uh, when that actually happened. So... It was it was told by uh, by God to Joshua and to all of Israel, really first to Moses, and then when Joshua actually did set it up, uh, that's also recorded in the book of Joshua, uh, chapter eight, I think it's verse thirty and thirty one. Uh, but basically, he Joshua sets it up, and, uh, and all of Israel, the ancient Israelites, celebrate there, and they bring offerings. Uh, different peace offerings, different types of offerings there. They were there for a number of years, actually, in that area. And really finding it, which which happened in the 1980s, and we can explain that later if you like, how that happened, which is also basically a miracle, uh, you know, ended up being, in my opinion, undisputable proof uh, of the, the truth of the Bible, that these things actually happened. And it's, uh, it's really biblical archaeology at its best, in my opinion. You mentioned its discovery, and this happened in 1980 by the University of Haifa's archaeologist Adam Zertel. Hard to right. imagine that it was just there, but undiscovered. Or, or was it? Did it have to be excavated? Tell me about Zertel's work in the area. Right. Okay, that's a very good question, actually, because everybody asks that. It's, it's sort of like the elephant in the room. Three thousand. You're trying to tell me that for three thousand years, this altar, which really stands out if you look at it today. Uh, on the north, uh, I guess it's the northeastern ridge of Mount Eval, that uh, nobody saw it, nobody discovered it. The truth is, it was it was just a pile, a huge mound of stones, of rocks. And it just looked like a big pile, like a big mound of rocks all those years. What happened was, you know, thousands of years ago, they piled rocks on top of the site to preserve it, essentially. Uh, the the holiness of it, the, the sacredness of it, and uh, when Adam Zertel actually did a survey of the area, first in 1980, 
uh, he, he started just basically removing all those rocks just to see what was, he, he's not even religious. He wasn't, well, he passed away several years ago, but he wasn't religious at all. The last thing he expected, in fact, he didn't know what it was, but he found uh, several potsdards there, uh, the stones dating all the way back to the Iron Age, uh, early Iron Age. And then uh, it was so, it was so uh, basically, uh, you know, interesting and enlightening, and he was so sort of uh, taken by it that he decided to, to start a real excavation in 1987 and then uh, found the animal bones there and actually, you know, discovered it. But, but until then, it was just a heap of stones. And there were people that did go looking for it. There was uh, all kinds of archaeologists from France and England that came hundreds of years before that to Israel uh, and also the Palestine Exploration Fund which was sent by Queen Victoria about 150 years ago uh, during the Ottoman Empire, and they didn't find anything because they were essentially looking in the wrong place. They were looking on the south side of Mount Ival, which is facing Mount Grisim. So they figured that, you know, the whole story of the blessings and the curses, etc., and the Ark was in that area. So they just figured that the, that the uh, sacrificial altar would also be there. When in fact, it's really on the other side of the mountain, on the northeastern ridge. So that was quite a surprise for him. It actually transformed him from a completely secular uh, Israeli archaeologist to a religious, a religious one. That's a whole story in itself. And how was it determined, without any doubt, that this was, in fact, Joshua's altar? He could, the truth is, Adam couldn't actually, or doctors would tell, couldn't really figure out what it was. He tried to compare it, as, as we do in biblical archaeology. We try to, first of all, whatever we find, we try to compare it to other things, you know, that, that are in the area, other ritual cultic uh, artifacts. You know, uh, he looked at Lebanon, at certain uh, temples that were there, certain, you know, different things. He couldn't find anything over the period of six months. And what happened one day, he was drawing it out in a uh, certain... Uh, I guess, a dining hall in one of the Yishuvim, one of the small communities around the Samaria area. And a religious, an Orthodox Jew, a religious guy came over and looked at his drawings and said, is that what you discovered? Because it was known that they were doing a survey, etc. And he said, yeah. He goes, wait a minute. He quickly brings back a, a Mishnah, which is part of the, the oral law of the Torah, you know, a tractate of the Talmud, uh, which deals all with things that have to do with the temple, how the temple was set up. He says, does it look like this? And he shows him a big picture of the sacrificial altar during the Herodian temple about 2,000 years ago. And sure enough, there were many, many uh, significant resemblances. The resemblance was undeniable. And he put two and two together, and he cleared a couple of things out. And sure enough, you see this picture of a ramp leading up to the altar. And uh, he was really, I think he shocked the whole, the whole world, really, but definitely the archaeological world. Uh, not all of them wanted to believe it at first. He had a, a lot of peers where he was sort of like a famous, one day he was famous as being this genius archaeologist, and the next day he was unfortunately, uh, well, I don't defamed, but, you know, at that time in Israel, archaeology was very sort of uh, scientifically based an anti-Bible, like, uh, you know, so they really gave him a hard time and they ignored this paper, and now everybody sort of accepts, most people accept that, yes, that this has to be the site. There's really no denying it. 
the description of the altar in either Deuteronomy or the book of Joshua, what would it have looked like? Was it enclosed? Was it open air? What did it look like? Well, it's it's right in the field, in the open field. I, I mean, we're, one of the projects, the projects I'm doing now, this is very exciting, is actually trying to get this whole area made into a park, like an actual conservation, natural Jewish heritage site, which, you know, tourists can come, I can bring them in as part of my, my tours, and, and show people, yes, this is the actual altar uh, that Joshua made uh, 3,000 years ago. So this is uh, 3,200 years ago or so. So this is very, very uh, an important thing. And uh, right now, you just walk out there, and you just see it, you just, you know, it's right there on top of the mountain. It's surrounded a little bit by a wall, uh, by this wall about, uh, I guess, four feet. You know, you see a ramp going up to the altar, and it's uh, there's it's sort of a square about 10 feet high. It's pretty big. It's pretty big. It's about two meters by two meters, the square part on top. Like, they really did hundreds and hundreds of offerings there. Uh, you can see that. and uh, it, But it's very, very special, very inspirational site. But it's it's just out in the open. It's it's a military. It's actually a military a military uh, closed area because it's very close to Babylon, which is very dangerous. Right. It's and in part of the Israeli-Palestinian an area of conflict. Right. This is in Samaria, so the Palestinians say that this is disputed territory, and so it's it's right. there. Tell me how this recently sort of got into the news because it involved some municipal Palestinian work that was going on in the area. Right, exactly. It was sort of in the, on the back burner. Uh, people didn't really, except if you're really into archaeology, etc., uh, then you really sort of, I, I mean, you know it's there, but it, in terms of the public, most people didn't really know about it uh, until this happened. What happened was uh, the PA, the Palestinian Authority, wanted to make and wants to make a road, from essentially from Nablus to a nearby town, going through and up this mountain, sort of like a shortcut. Uh, to another Arab city in the area. So they started work on this road, uh, essentially a dirt road, and they they uh, used, they sort of uh, uh, encroached, I guess, on this outer wall surrounding uh, the altar. Now, it didn't touch the altar itself, which would have been a huge outcry, a real uh, desecration. Uh, but they touched the wall that's surrounding it, which is also very special, because it's one of the six quote-unquote, footprints uh, that we have in Samaria, a very, very interesting uh, idea that's, that's in the Jordan Valley, uh, these sandal-shaped walls, enclosures, uh, signify a foothold in the country when the Israelites came in. But basically what happened was they were building this road, and they encroached it. They used some of the stones from the fence uh, for the road. So that was really, once we found out about that, uh, the whole community was up in arms, and, and it was like, you know, this just can't happen. I think between you and me, Richard, that uh, the PA was sort of testing the waters. You know, can we do this? Can we not do that? that Biden is in office, but the Biden-Harris uh, ticket. So they're trying to, you know, now that there's a two-state solution back on the table, so now they're trying to make inroads uh, to these areas that are, like you said, disputed, you know, politically. And, uh, and trying to get in there. So, you know, I'm not sure what uh, their intentions are, but certainly it, it, uh, it put this altar back on the map into the headlines. 
That's for sure. Is it uh, likely that the Palestinian Authority would have preferred that the location was, I don't know, either destroyed or forgotten about because the the altar would seem to sort of solidify Israel's claim to Samaria, given that it goes back, you know, to, to the Iron Age? Absolutely. 100%. You're, you're right about that. Uh, I mean... Since then, which this happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, we've we've seen all kinds of NGOs, like left-wing NGOs, like Eva Shaver, which is a clearly you know political organization that Palestine should be freed, etc. And you know we have all these organizations coming out uh, saying you know this is really uh, Palestinian. Of course, they do want to. If they had it their way, you know, they would try to erase a lot of that connection to the Jewish heritage in the which they've done before. It's nothing new. It, it happens all the time, unfortunately. There's uh, over a thousand archaeological sites in the Judea-Samaria area that have already been looted and desecrated. Um, you know, we just can't, uh, we can't sort of supervise or video everything. But this is in a place called Area B, which is essentially uh, controlled by the Palestinian Authority, as opposed to Area C, which is controlled by, uh, you know, the Jewish, you know, Israel sovereignty. So Area B, even though security is, is guaranteed by the IDF, or the Israel Defense Forces, because the Palestinians have sort of like a day-to-day control, uh, they try to get into these places and sort of, you know, erase the facts on the ground, just to call a spade a spade. So it's very important that we this project that we're doing is to, to really sort of, even if there is a two-state solution and that area goes to them, we still need to, to solidify this area as a Jewish heritage site and its connection to Israel, including the West Bank and Samaria. Its biblical connection uh, is, is hugely important, not just to Jews, of course, to, uh, you know, to Christians, to, to, to everyone, really. Right. And had it been on the radar, I suppose, it likely would have been included or mentioned under the Oslo Accords in the uh, the early to mid-90s and then perhaps afforded some protection. But it, but because it wasn't, now it's kind of up in the air. Well, right. It wasn't specifically mentioned in the Oslo Accords, but in general, it was mentioned under holy archaeological sites, like, uh, you know, sacred Jewish sites, uh, you know, that have important artifacts. It wasn't mentioned by name like some of the other ones, the big ones, you know, the tomb of the, the patriarchs and Chevron, etc. But there are five stipulations in the Oslo Accords uh, that, you know, that stipulate very clearly that Jewish heritage sites like this one, sacred sites, cannot be touched uh, under the Palestinian Authority. And, and uh, but once the the Jewish forces, the Israeli forces moved out of some of these areas. It, it was just a matter of weeks before they went in and destroyed one. The biggest one, of course, back then, in the year 2000 or so, was the tomb of, J- of Joseph, which was really destroyed uh, only two weeks later. So that was that was a, a hard lesson to learn. Uh, but it is a breach. Harming the site really is a breach of the Oslo Accords. It's just like you mentioned, it's just not there uh, specifically, which would have helped. It's true. More of my conversation with Harry Moskoff when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Start feeling rejuvenated right now. 
Order your one-month supply of Super Tea and GI Joy today from GetTheTea.com. This Super Tea is specifically formulated to cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. And of course, the colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. Life Change Tea is not the same tea that you buy in the store off the shelf. Life Change Tea is eight powerful herbs blended together to maximize your health. You also get 60 capsules of the GI Joy, which contains colostrum, which helps to assist in maintaining a healthy digestive tract. It also helps maintain a healthy immune system. Super Tea and GI Joy from Get The Tea for a healthy digestion and a healthy immune system. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Consult your healthcare professional before using this product. If you're pregnant or breastfeeding, do not use without consulting a healthcare professional. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Harry Moskoff is here and we're talking about Joshua's altar mentioned in Deuteronomy and the book of Joshua. Talk to me about your involvement in protecting and preserving this site and building uh, or incorporating it into conservation area. Well, that's, that's something that I'm very, very excited about. I'm actually, I'm looking at a letter right now that's signed by my colleagues, at least 40, I think there's 50 signatures here from the biggest, uh, the most famous archaeologist here in Israel saying uh, to the, a letter to the defense minister, which is Benny Gantz, that something must be done about this. That uh, this is the only site that we have from, I'm just reading it in Hebrew now, translating it, uh, the only site that we have from the early Iron Age in Israel, and it's extremely important, which is about 1200 B.C. Uh, and it's extremely important to protect it no matter what uh, from anybody harming it. Uh, you know, political, apolitical, it doesn't really matter. But it's your job, essentially, as the defense minister, to make sure that the the uh, you know idea comes across. Put it that way. Uh, I'm just saying in nice terms to the Palestinian Authority that any anybody infringing uh, on the site will be uh, there'll be severe consequences in the future. Now and in the future, and it's funny because this list of archaeologists is. Both, uh, most of them are completely secular, not just the religious ones, which was a surprise to me as well. Um, so I, this, I'm getting together with some of these archaeologists, uh, friends of mine, and we're going to try as much as we can, along with the uh, regional council of Siberia, to to go there and actually make it into a official, uh, you know, official sort of sanctified area where we can bring people on tours and, and ensure that this remains uh, something that's going to be, uh, I guess, a holy site, as it were, for all time. We also have the Israeli president, Rivlin. Uh, he also urged the army to protect the West Bank. Uh, well, it's sort of like a shrine, I guess, at this point. And uh, we hopefully we'll be meeting with him as well. I mean, uh, there's a lot to be done. There's... Uh, 
a meeting coming up with the Shavuot Council. Uh, Yossi, uh, it was uh, uh, Yossi, not Yossi Balin. Uh, there's, there's a couple of Yossis here I'm reading. But uh, some of the people that were there, actually, that went to the White House with Trump, uh, who was very much into, uh, as you know, you know, uh, Israel holding onto these sites, whether it's the Golan or in the South. Uh, but we need the Shavuot Council, and we need also uh, some of the other archaeologists, even in the, that are in America. Scott Stripling is another one. Uh, some of the people that have worked on other sites, nearby sites, in Shiloh, for instance. And we're really going to go ahead. And for me, what I want to do personally is I want to actually go there and, and rebuild sort of Lit uh, Kadesh, is the Hebrew word, sort of... Uh, refurbish in a way the altar itself you know fill it in where it needs filling in with earth uh which i checked according to jewish law you're allowed to do that and uh so that that's also something very very important uh to to actually make it you know sort of uh completed as it were right and do you hope also to do some additional excavating additional digging around the altar in hopes of finding other artifacts yes indeed in fact that has been done in the past under the radar uh that's you know uh, something that's very important and you know finally we will find other especially in that area where the israelites were for for years before spreading out and conquering the rest of Israel, it was going to Shiloh, uh, where they were for 369 years. It's, it's very important. Uh, that whole area, about, uh, besides having an incredible view, by the way, if you come to Israel, I'll take you there, <laughs> hopefully. But uh, it's, it's really a special site, and uh, you know, we hope to, to do more archaeological work there as well, as you said, absolutely. And uh, aside from its obvious importance to the state of Israel as a, as a heritage site, speaking from a more of a religious uh, standpoint or biblical standpoint, explain the significance of this find, what it means. Wow. Well, I mean, the, the fact that it sparked such a large, a huge outcry means that it's, 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 it's got a it's sort of a piece of every Jew who reads the Bible and Christian, anybody who, any scholar or any could be any religion, or, or even somebody who just reads the Bible, uh, you know, for, for pleasure. Once they get to this part in Deuteronomy, they read about the commandment by God to build this this altar as the Israelites cross into, you know, after they cross into Israel, uh, from, you know, the Jordan. It really hits you that this is something really real. And it's it's not just something made up. It's not just a story. You see it. And you're there, and it, uh, you know, once you see even the images, you know, if you Google it, uh, the, the altar of Joshua on uh, Mount Ebal, you really get this feeling, wow, this, this thing really existed. And for me, it's very special, the whole idea of doing an, an, an offering to God, making an offering and connecting with God. This is a spot where the Israelites really connected. And uh, when you read about it like that, and you see, you know what? This is a place where thousands, millions of of these ancient Hebrews and Israelite Jews, you know, connected to God before conquering the earth of Israel, the, the land of Israel. It's it's really striking and very, you know, it sort of strikes a chord inside. I think it could be anybody, really, and that's why there was such a big outcry. I think it surprised the PA, the Palestinian Authority, also, 
I'm sure they weren't expecting such a huge, uh, you know, outpouring of concern. And also, you know, look, you know, and it sort of brings to mind all the other things that happened. And for anything to do, if they were to even go near the altar, like an act altar itself, I mean, in Jewish law, it's it's actually a prohibition to remove any of the stones from that altar. And not just that altar, any altar that was used to serve the God of Israel, like the one God, is uh, forbidden to, it's like it's an actual uh, uh, sin to take one to dismantle it. So uh, that's for anybody. Right. Know, not just Jews, but... So the... Yeah, so I, heavy I, duty. You have obviously, as we've discussed prior, uh, a huge interest in the Ark of the Covenant. And right. so according to the account in either Deuteronomy or the book of Joshua, the, the Ark at one point was taken to the altar. Is that true? Yes, it was taken. Once the Jews came into uh, Israel, they went to Gilgal for 14 years with the tabernacle. But during that time, as the tabernacle was set up in Gilgal, they took the ark out, and they went and they conquered uh, Jericho, went around seven times, and the walls fell, as we know. And uh, there were a couple other uh, battles there that were lost, and then won, etc. And then the ark finally uh, went up, as, as the Jews left Jericho in that area, went up towards the mouth of uh, of uh, and then so the ark came in and actually sat between those two mountains, uh, the mountain of Gruzim and the Mount Ibal, and that's where uh, the commandment was that uh, the blessings should be said on Mount Gruzim and the curses on Mount Ibal, and the ark was sitting in the middle, in the valley in the middle. So it definitely was there. And, uh, and, and when you go there itself, I have to tell you, whenever I go there, which is it's hard to get to now, it's, as uh, we do, it's a military closed zone. But the energy there, and the, the, you know, right there where Joseph is also buried in Nablus, the energy is is just if you're sensitive to that type of thing, it's so strong, it's so powerful of an area. You just you just know that something very very significant happened, and like you said, the ark was there as well. That with the, not with the tabernacle, it actually went. The tabernacle stayed in Gilgal for 14 years, but the ark went to different places. And uh, that's one of the reasons, by the way, that they could construct an altar in the first place. Uh, the reason why is because the ark was not inside the tabernacle. When the ark is not together inside the tabernacle with the altar in the tabernacle, then you could, each person could have a, a altar for themselves. Ah. Uh, and then offer their own sacrifices. Right. Until this day, actually. In other words, if the Ark is in the tabernacle, you can't build any other altars. Right. Right, which is the case when it was in Shiloh for 369 years. So everyone had to bring the sacrifices there, all the Jews. Um, but a non-Jew, a Gentile, can definitely, even today, bring, uh, believe it or not, I've seen this myself, it's fascinating, uh, come to Israel and bring an offering uh, of the road, if they know if they do it properly, but uh, yeah, that happened again in King David's time when the, when the tabernacle went was destroyed in Shiloh, and the tabernacle went to uh, Nov and Gibbon, and the ark was he right here in Beit Shemesh, and was 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 you know in uh, the Philistines actually took the ark, and there was a whole story of what happened there, and it went back through Beit Shemesh, and then 
20 years in, in uh, Kiryat Yari before it went to the temple, before King David took it to the temple. So then the Ark was also away from the tabernacle uh, at that point as well. And um, any updates on your search for the Ark? Well, we're getting closer. We are getting closer every day. There's new things being found. Uh, now with the, you know, it was more active PC. That's what I call it, before Corona. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we are getting back. Things are coming back. The lockdown here in Israel is lifting, thank God. Uh, so now we're, these parks are opening, and we're actually getting down. We're doing some research in just some cisterns uh, beneath the Temple Mount. And we're getting closer. There are some tunnels are opening up. We're finding... And so uh, I'm also working on my second book of the Ark Report, which has a lot of new discoveries related to the Ark and the, the vessels as well of the tabernacle and the temples itself. So there are some things happening, slowly but surely, uh, getting closer. And it's, uh, it is, you know, you have to hang in there. It's, it's coming, coming soon. Also, you're, you're looking for artifacts from the, uh, the second temple. Any developments right. there? Yeah, so that's all connected, because articles of the Second Temple actually provide clues to where the Ark is as well. And according to my theory, and, you know, I've pretty much proven this uh, in many ways, the Ark is under the Temple Mount, uh, about eight meters, and approximately southwest of the Dome of the Rock. And uh, I prove this uh, in my book. And so there are different ways to get there, but finding the vessels, which are also in a different place, it says in the Talmud, uh, the vessels of the tabernacle, when the temple was made, uh, King Solomon, before putting the ark in the temple, he actually hid some of the vessels of the temple, the courtyard, etc., uh, different you know boards and beams and things like that, underneath the temple mount. There's like four layers of mazes, uh, which Maimonides uh, actually uh, speaks about, under there uh, in the temple mount. And so we actually have a whole bunch of, of things that, you know, ways of getting in and uh, seeing those vessels. And once we see those vessels, it could lead us very easily, well, hopefully, uh, to the Ark itself. But there are different places around Israel as well. And in the Vatican as well, we're, we're actually arranging, hopefully, a tour to uh, maybe your listeners will be interested in this as well. Uh, they can contact me, you know, through my website, etc., or Facebook. But uh, we're organizing a tour to the Vatican uh, and as I know through my research and literally first-hand uh, accounts, that there are two things in the Vatican today. Uh, the big menorah is not there, like everyone seems to think, like the big candelabra, uh, not there. But the uh, the golden headplate of the high priest is there, and there are certain uh, places here in uh, close by in Jerusalem, which we also uh, I have permission to do excavations for as well as uh, other places. You know, things are coming out, different clues, things that have been written by certain rabbis uh, that lived 100 years ago. I also have a map, a very interesting map, uh, that, that pinpoints a place sort of in central Jerusalem. And uh, I don't want to say anything too, you know, over the air, publicly, uh, at the moment, but uh, it is exciting. There are things we're pursuing, uh, but all over the board, Definitely with permission, uh, uh, you know, either from the Israeli Antiquities Authority, uh, the government, we actually have the signs. So we're doing that. There is a bit of a delay, of course, because of Corona. 
and uh, you know, getting everything back to work and getting over there. But uh, it is exciting because we are getting closer every day. I really believe that uh, to these things, you know, coming out at the right time, God willing. And uh, it's exciting. Yeah, we just have to sort of hang in there, hold on, you know, and keep going. In the meantime, people can go to harryhmoskoff.net, Harry H. M-O-S-K-O-F-F, harryhmoskoff.net, and uh, they can also get a copy of the ARC report that's available at the website as well as Amazon, I believe. Right. Uh, Amazon and also at Barnes & Noble. Uh, And of course, you can contact me directly. I'd love to find a copy, or if you're here in Israel, uh, I'll bring you to some of these places. Uh, Hopefully things will open up and we'll start traveling again. But yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, either one of those places is, uh, is fine. Terrific. Harry, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the update. No problem. My pleasure, Richard. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to give you a few details about an upcoming episode. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS60. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the c60evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. Coming up next time, author Wallace Wagner Jr. on UFOs in the Bible and how to prepare Christians for disclosure. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>